Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I am Ira Creaseman. And let's talk about memory. Yeah, memory is interesting. Or or terrifying. Or maybe <laughs> tragic. Uh-huh. Or uh, unreliable. But also kind of wonderful uh, and amazing. So, I, I mean, I'm not a, a neuroscientist. I, I've never really studied memory in an in a in-depth kind of way. But in general, my experience with memory is that mine is decent. There are things that really stick out in my mind. I'm fairly certain that I'm remembering things correctly, though uh, I've certainly read plenty of evidence to suggest that, for example, eyewitness testimony is a terrible thing on which to base right. evidence for a trial, yeah. So I'm mostly pretty happy with my, with my recall and my ability to remember the important things in my life and anything that uh, I perhaps don't recall I'm not too worried about it. Though sometimes, for example, when talking to mom, mom's got an excellent memory for our vacations. I I assume you've experienced this, right? Do you remember the theater we went to in LA? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Or you know, when you all went to Alcatraz, and I do remember that one, right? But I don't necessarily remember all the details that she remembers. So I think mom's memory is probably better than mine. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think memory is fascinating. I do worry sometimes, though, that maybe I have forgotten important things, like important events in my life. But because I can't remember them, maybe that's okay, because, like, it's not... (laughs) It's kind of a catch-22. You know, yeah. I think, and we'll obviously get more into this, (laughs) for those of you who know where we're going with this, it's the misremembering things that is... I think more troubling to me, more worrying to me than forgetting things because we all forget things, you know, and then there's something will spark your mind and you'll remember and you'll, you'll oh, I know, I still know all the words to getting jiggy with you. Like, <laughs> what? what? Like, uh-huh. what? Uh-huh. I've heard that song in 15 years, but all those words are still in there. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Right. And, but it is that. I think that anxiety when you've remembered something one way and somebody else has remembered it another way. Maybe that's why it's good that mom remembers those trips so well and we can just be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. It's like, I remember being there, all the events around it. Yeah, she's got that stuff locked down. I've got a really good memory for certain things. I've, I've always had really good recall uh, about certain things that I've kind of dedicated. If I take the time to dedicate something to my memory, uh, I tend to have pretty good recall on it. On the flip side of that, anything that I was maybe half paying attention to or 75% paying attention to at the time, I won't remember the next day. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, real psychology, and I've read interesting philosophy too on, you know, why we forget things. When you walk into the next room and you go, mm-hmm. why did I come in? Why well, am in this room? You got to go <laughs> Dude, back to the previous room, right? To sparse the thing. Feeling in your body. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely came here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I got to go back to the living room to remember that, oh, I need to switch the laundry or right. whatever. And a lot of that, uh, apparently, according to some, has to do with the, the space that you're in and yeah, the way that your body and mind interact with the real world. And, and that's why this is such a fascinating topic and, and something that's so interesting to get into when fiction gets into it in an interesting way. There's 
a lot of fiction, you know, movies, television, video games, books, whatever, where, you know, we have flashbacks where we're told about the history, but it's just kind of told. And this gets much, much deeper, does Final Fantasy VII, into memory. And as you talked about, the, the, the faulty nature of it, the imperfect elements of memory. So, Drew, I would like to, as we sometimes do, ask a big, a couple big questions at the beginning of uh, this episode and then maybe again at the end and see if we can sort of bookend our thoughts here. But first, I want to share a shared memory. When you and I were pretty young and our cousin Charity came to visit, we would often do these talent shows. Do you, right. do you remember doing those? Okay, so <laughs> do I remember uh-huh. doing them? No, I was too young for that. I do remember watching yes. video of them okay. later. And there's right? a there's a particular incident. Yeah. Dad made for me a wooden prop of a guitar, essentially, yeah. uh, because I was yeah. going to do some music videos with some friends, and that never happened. But when Charity came over, we used that as a prop for Welcome to the Jungle. And I'm out there jamming out. I'm like seven or eight years old, which would have made you, what, three yeah. And and I'm jamming out and you come out on, on stage with me and start dancing around and I don't even notice and I smash you in the head with the neck of that guitar <laughs> and right. I don't even notice and Charity swoops in and, and takes care of you, uh, taking yeah. on the white mage role, I suppose. Yeah, right, exactly. And I don't know if I remember that happening or if I remember watching the video of it happen. Yeah. Right. I think I remember it happening. I mean, you were three or four, like, and you also just got hit in the head, so you not remembering it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've got an alibi. <laughs> right. But I, th- I think I remember, like, practicing jamming out to Welcome to the Jungle on mm-hmm. my wooden guitar. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember all that happening and only finding out afterwards that I had smashed you in the head. But I, I don't know if it's the memory of that or the memory of the video. And sometimes that bothers me, and sometimes it's... Well, I've still got the memory in there, and I've still got the guitar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fixed it up. So one of my big questions is, does it matter? You know, in in the sense that, does it matter whether or not I remember the event or I remember the video? Uh, Or is it okay that I maybe have some kind of a conglomeration, the two of them? And is it okay that it's fuzzy? Right. Yeah, and I'm not sure... Maybe I'll have an answer by the end of the episode. Maybe I will continue to not. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep talking about that because you're not the only one <laughs> right, right. <laughs> with a dilemma on your hands. So the other two big questions I want to ask are, one, or two, I guess, since I've already asked my first. Two, how do you want to be remembered? So assuming you are done with life, you have passed on, how do you, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? And the third question is, is it useful to use memory in stories? Like, or is there a literary virtue to telling stories with memory as a focus? Right. So those are my three, three questions. Does it matter? How do you want to be remembered? And is there a literary virtue? Yeah. So let's talk about memory and Final Fantasy. In Final Fantasy I, I tend to think of prophecy as a kind of memory. 
you know, it's sort of remembering the future, right? Or, the, or there's that line from uh, yeah. Field of Dreams where, where Annie says, maybe you're having flashbacks. And it's like, no, I never did acid. And she's like, maybe you will do acid. Maybe it's a flash forward. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, it's so good. But, you know, there's, there's, sort of, there's memory in that, too. Uh, his memory of his father and playing baseball and then not playing baseball. And then, you know, t- time travel is a kind of memory, too, right? If you go back in time and you can sort of affect uh, what happened in the past, then you affect the memories of present and future. Right. So in Final Fantasy One, we've got that thousand-year time loop going on over and over again, which sort of generates this prophecy, and it you know it becomes a memory of a thing that's happened before, and now is therefore prophecy, and the four warriors of light will show up. Except maybe it's this dude who really hates chaos, uh, and right. his pals who might be the warriors of light. I don't even <laughs> like I don't even know anymore, right? Find out. But that's uh. but that's kind of the thing, right? Like Final Fantasy One plays with prophecy and time travel and if you are successful and you defeat chaos at the end of Final Fantasy One, well, then the world forgets the Warriors of Light. So that gets to that question of, does it matter? Does it? Yeah. I mean, we talked in, in when we talked about the first game. We talked about does free will exist and do their choices matter? But if the yeah. world is saved, does it matter whether or not the citizens of the world remember who saved them? It's a tough one to answer. In Final Fantasy IV, Kane Highwind is brainwashed and is uh, sort of loses his memory of his of his friends and allies. And then again, w- uh, you know, when he uh, is unbrainwashed, he remembers what he's done and, and feels pretty bad about it. The memory slash ghost of Anna pushes Edward to become a hero, which I think is a, a really fun parallel to the Landingham Bartlett conversation. Yeah. So, you know, for Bartlett, it's his memory of Mrs. Landingham, presumably. But for Edward, it's the ghost of his fiancée, Anna. So in a way, yeah. ghosts are a memory. You're right. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Tella, who can't remember all his best spells. Uh, and yeah. his drive to recover that memory to uh, defeat Golbez is, is interesting. So, you know, Cain wants to recover his memory, or when he does recover his memory, wants to make up for what he's done. Tella wants to recover his memory specifically so he can gain revenge, which is interesting. Yeah. In Final Fantasy V, Goliath has amnesia upon landing uh, in the other world in his meteor spaceship. Uh, he can't remember the world in which he is king, but he does kind of remember uh, Kryli and his inability to remember is what saves him from the siren using Kryli against him, which is pretty cool. So in that case, memory loss is a, uh, is a shield uh, against yeah. painful memories. That just reminded me, and I would be absolutely remiss if we had an entire conversation about memory and I didn't bring up eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, mm-hmm. but the idea of losing memories or no longer having certain memories as a kind of shield for pain is the theme the incredibly powerful and heartbreaking or wrenching or heart curing it's it breaks and cures your heart all and yes, that's one of my does. favorite movies of all time yeah I love that movie. in final fantasy 6 Terra is victim to the slave crown uh and so it's it's not so much that she doesn't remember what she's done so much as she doesn't 
she, I mean, she doesn't have any control over herself. And then she suffers this uh, emotional stuntedness throughout like the first half of that game as those memories keep encroaching upon her. She's, you know, am I a bad person? What is this? Who am I? Like, uh, and, and so that I think is a really interesting use of not necessarily memory, but you know, how our minds function. Yeah. We also have shadows dreams. Uh, dreams are often used in fiction as a way to tell the reader something without the characters necessarily consciously thinking about it. So, you know, but, but how reliable are dreams as memories? Right. I would say in the real world, probably not very reliable, but in Final Fantasy VI with Shadow's dreams, I think they're meant to be taken literally, right? Right, right. And oftentimes in fiction, they are when, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, and I... Uh, you know, after our father died, I had some extraordinarily vivid dreams about him and not about, you know, not memories, but like we were just working on something or we were just talking about something. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think and, and it, you know, they felt very true in that way because it was absolutely him, you know, in those dreams. But I don't think it, I think it is interesting how fiction often uses dreams to be a literal memory. Yeah. When I've never experienced that. Right. Yeah, I've always thought that was interesting as well. Uh, Cyan has a similar situation in which we, uh, you know, the the dream demons are, are taking him yeah. down these memories of his his wife and son, and we get to see some literal memories of you know fishing with his son and admitting he uh, loves his wife, which is which is great, yeah. but also kind of as we said at the time, a little like you can just say that, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna skip Final Fantasy VII for the moment. Spoiler warning, uh, Ira's about to spoil the crap out of the middle of Final Fantasy VIII if you haven't played it before. And then we get into a little bit of nine a, a bit more loosely. So if you've never played those games, maybe jump forward a few minutes. Final Fantasy VIII, the Guardian forces remove people's memories. And so all these people have forgotten that they're all from the same orphanage, but those experiences still impact their interactions with each other, which is interesting because it suggests that their memories, while gone are still important. And that's where you get into subconscious memory and repressed memory and things that are there. And then still, like you said, kind of informing who you are, but they're just elusive. It's, it's yeah, that, that's we'll, we'll get deeper into that right. when we get into eight, obviously. Right, because these people are important to me. I'm, I don't have the full context, but I know they're important to me. Like, that cypher's son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Uh, And we also have the dreams of Laguna, right? Here are things that literally happened, but are they Squall's dreams and memories, or are they somebody else's? And those are even, like, collective, right? So, again, we'll get back to that, but people having collectively the same dream. uh, Right. Of an actual memory. Right, yes. And weird-ass time travel. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Time compression nonsense. I love it. Okay, so in Final Fantasy X, Tidus and Jack are basically the constructs of a memory slash dream of a collective consciousness known as the faith. Right. Sure, absolutely. Skipped over nine real quick, but, uh, (laughs) you know, numbers, whatever. Uh Zidane and Kuja both have a memory relapse, you know, not knowing who you are, where you came from, you know, blockage. 
as it were, actually pretty similar to what we're about to get into. And then, of course, you know, Vivi, that, that's a little bit different because he's so young and, and that's... But still, there's there's a... Like, we're about to see almost all of these characters. And there, there are some, you know, further... I'm, I'm trying... We're, Look, everyone, we're going to have to redo 13 <laughs> yeah. when we get to 13 and, and stuff like we're that one's not quite as committed to memory yeah, speaking as of the which. others. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> we made it that. But what happens and it's about to happen as we get back into Final Fantasy seven here. Right. Is this moment. It's like in WandaVision when you go, where are all the children? Mm hmm. Where, where does the town end? There's that moment of, wait, how did I get here? Right, right. Do you remember, do you remember and we had this piece, do you remember? Uh, do you remember uh, when we had the conversation about cynicism and plots mm -hmm. and, and criticism and all that stuff? And we talked about the old, you know, there's only two plots. The hero comes to town and they either stay or they leave. Yep. And... The question here is, how'd you get to town? Right. Oh, nice. Very good. <laughs> and, and you know, almost every single one of our Final Fantasy heroes from here on out, because really for the first six games, they're told very linearly. We do get some flashbacks in Final Fantasy VI, mm -hmm. but they're all just how it happened. And, and at the time that we need to know, no real funny business going on. No one needs to have an existential crisis because of it. But from here on out, that question of how did you get to town? How did you really truly enter the story becomes a, a terrifying one for some of our heroes. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Final Fantasy XIV, man. Okay, so full disclosure, I have played almost to the end of the first scenario of Final Fantasy XIV. And you've played quite a bit further. But just to set up a little bit, Final Fantasy XIV existed and then was destroyed. Yeah. And some people remember the destruction and some don't. And I think Sid is involved, but also like every single person who plays, every player character is the hero, right? So they do these events, right. they delve into these dungeons and they save the day or whatever, but then you can do it multiple times and it's like you'd never done it before. And that's kind of explained by the echo is, how am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're in the right neighborhood. I, I couldn't explain it better. <laughs> yeah, it's all explained by the echo. Okay. All <laughs> That's right. one of the best. Which is kind of like back into that realm of also dreams and also ghosts and also time travel and also prophecy are a kind of memory in that they are a way to experience what has come before and what might come again. When yeah. really, like we've talked about before, all we have, all we really have is right now. And what are you going to yeah. do with right now? Well, informed by the past, prepare for the future. And the way we do that is with memory, kind of. Yeah, kind of, right. Final Fantasy Tactics is essentially a, a history lesson by the descendant of one of our sort of peripheral helper characters. Uh, the historian's name is Az Azrul Azralam. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Uh, and uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance One, at least, is a is a 
fairy tale version of that same history, which is interesting because, you know, in Tactics, only the human characters exist, and in Tactics Advance 1, there's all these non-human characters, so which one is the real history? Well, it, it's probably then the one that happened in Final Fantasy XII, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, right. Or, or they're all a memory. Or we're all living inside the Matrix right. digital. <laughs> right. It's, and then that's kind of the next level. It's absolutely worth remembering that, you know, history is in fact written by those who survived the conflict, right? The ones, the, the Empire right. writes the history. And, yeah. you know, us librarians try to ferret out the truth as best we can and make it available. <laughs> it's so yeah, how history is remembered and how it is presented is part of memory. And yeah. spirits within there the ghosts that are invading are essentially the memories of a dead planet asking for help. In Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, the boss monster feeds on memories. In Final Fantasy Type 0, nobody can remember the dead. Mm. In World of Final Fantasy, our heroes, Rain and Lawn, they can't remember what they did, right. which is probably for the best at the beginning because they done fucked up bad. <laughs> it is not good. But that's what helps them, you know, start on their quest to make things right. And, and you know, I, I said a few episodes ago, I quoted the Wheel of Time. This time I was raised better. I think that really applies to World of Final Fantasy because this time, you know, they, they are better people this time. Not that they were bad, but they were pretty freaking careless. And this time they get it right because they had an opportunity to forget and try again. Yeah. And in Chrono Trigger and Kingdom Hearts, I think it's, you know, time travel, modifying history is kind of like modifying memory. Kingdom Hearts has that line, a dream that's like a far off memory, a memory that's like a far off dream. Yeah. So those are our examples in Final Fantasy of memories and how memories and memory adjacent things are used in plot and narrative. Any other examples you want to draw upon before we talk about Final Fantasy VII? Yeah, one last one that I'll mention before we get back into Final Fantasy VII is the Pixar film Coco, which deals with the Mexican tradition of how we remember the dead. And I don't want to spoil too much of it, and it's kind of built into the premise of that movie that it's really important to remember those who have passed on. So they have you know these altars with the pictures and, and, and heirlooms or whatever you might have from family members. And when you know the young hero of the movie accidentally finds his way into the land of the dead, one of the things they learn is that you get to kind of live and party in the land of the dead as long as people in the real world remember you. And when the last person alive, whoever remembered you, passes away and then nobody in the world remembers you, it's, it's you know, something dark happens and we don't know and that's kind of this, this scary thing. But that's, that's, you live on, you know, in the, in the afterlife based on that. And of course the, the famous, I believe Oscar winning song from that is Remember Me. It's the piece, really beautiful piece of music, but yeah. So the idea that memories are, are that powerful and that holding on to and remembering those who are no longer here gives them a, a kind of second life uh, is just another really interesting take on this topic. So going back to one of my big questions, does it matter? Well, according to Coco, it most definitely does. It, it matters very much. Yeah. All right. So 
When last we left our heroes. When last we left our heroes, yeah. <laughs> um, they were in a memory. They had just been transported to... Or is it? Is it a memory? Is it a dream? Is it an illusion? They know they're in Nibelheim. And they know it's supposed to be five years ago, but no one thinks they've time traveled. Right, right. We're, we're looking at Nibelheim. It's, it's Cloud, Antifa, and whomever the plus one you've chosen is. And you've given the black materia to somebody else to hang on to. And I think we said last episode that we would all choose Barrett because yeah, got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Okay. So, we start out with Cloud. This is an illusion Sephiroth made up. He's trying to confuse us. As long as we know it's an illusion, there is nothing to be afraid of. Which on the one hand, feels like pretty solid advice. If you know the bad guy is messing with your head, hang on to the truth and you're gonna be fine. But it also has the potential to set you up for anything I say is right, anything he says is wrong. Right? Ah, oh, this is such brilliant writing. I'm, just, I'm gonna try not to say that too many times throughout the next. <laughs> Everything that's happened, this is all brilliant. Everything that happens here is brilliant, even if some of the dialogue back in the day was slightly clunky a little bit. But right. he, th this is perfect because he, he, anyone who's seen speculative fiction, if you've been through Kane having his brainwashed or you've watched anything where the bad guy can put you into a fantasy world and mess with your brain, you know the number one rule. Don't believe it. Don't let them do this to you as long as you believe and cloud is going to repeat this over and over again as long as we recognize that sephiroth is screwing with us this isn't real we're gonna be okay but as we're going to come to find out that's a kind of security blanket right. that he's giving himself it's also worth noting that we're about to find out how it really happened except and remember, we're, we're in here for spoilers, and we did this with the last time we told the Nibelheim incident. Except, no, we're not. <laughs> like, this is how it really happened, except... Not right. exactly right. And it's so smart to do that, because, again, Final Fantasy's never really done this before, where they've told us a story that turned out not to be true, and now we have to go back and hear it. And so, because of the way this is done, we're going to believe Sephiroth by the end of this, that this is the real truth. And, and just because of storytelling conventions, because we've seen this before. Once you do get the real truth explained to you by the villain, then that makes them even more dastardly, you know, that they're telling you how it really is. And you hate that, but they're right. Uh, but there, there are elements, again, of this that aren't true. And that messing with the player, messing with the viewer adds to that same anxiety that Cloud is having here, where when we finally do get to it, he starts to go, wait, do, again, how did I get to town? Right, right. Because here, we get that memory of, or we, we get the uh, the story of Sephiroth uh, and a couple of Shinra grunts and a spiky-headed, big sword-wielding dude coming into Nibelheim. But Cloud is not the spiky-headed, big sword-wielding dude. It's somebody else. So how did Cloud get to town? Apparently, he didn't. Yeah. The you didn't even go to town right. thing. And wait, who is that? Yeah. So Cloud is like, this is stupid. 
and Sephiroth is laughing at him and they do that thing when Cloud's having memory issues and there's kind of a fuzz and a blink and it's, it almost looks like a technical error in the game, but it's Cloud's memories or Sephiroth's illusion, depending on which way we're going here, that's, that's on the Fritz. So he says it again, this is just an illusion, don't worry about it, and we blink again and we're to the town on fire. So now Sephiroth has cracked, he's lit Nibelheim on fire, he believes Genova is his mother, speaking of unreliable narrators. Right. And, and he's, he's had it, he's going to burn the world down. So now we're to that part of the memory. And Cloud says this, this is what actually happened five years ago. And we pan up to Shinra Manor and he says, oh, but... It's probably not me that's going to come out of Shinra Mansion. He's going to show us another illusion. So this is all bullshit. This is watch. It's not even me. You guys watch. Yeah, watch. watch. It won't even me. be me. This is me. the. This is exactly what people people who are so into a conspiracy theory that any evidence you show them that the conspiracy theory is incorrect just show that you are a Machiavellian liar or you're part of the conspiracy or you just don't get it. So any evidence right. provided, uh, any evidence to the contrary, is not actually evidence to the contrary. Right. The, the black-haired man standing in for Cloud's position uh, in, in this situation talks to Zangan, the monk dude, basically does the whole, same whole thing that happened before, but this guy instead of Cloud. It is worth noting right. that one of the Shinra grunts is laid out beside Cloud's house. When you're controlling Cloud in the, in the story from before, you can check on, the, uh, on that grunt. Dude's still there. Might be important. Right. <laughs> So Cloud says, Sephiroth, I know you're listening. I know what you want to say, but I wasn't in Nibelheim five years ago. Sephiroth goes, yeah, you got it. I see you finally understand. Well done. You figured it out. <laughs> Cloud says, you want to confuse me, but I remember it. I remember all of it. I remember the heat of the fire. I remember the pain in my body and in my heart. Sephiroth says, mm. no, man, you're just a puppet. How can there be any meaning in the memory of such a being? What I have shown you is reality. What you remember is the illusion. Ugh. So, that... We can get into this deeper in just a second, but that is like the fear. Yeah. Right? That That is a deep, deep fear. Certainly of mine, but that idea that, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, of misremembering so much that... Wait, I'm the conspiracy theorist? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just said, now, wait a minute. And to be told just flat out and, and so plainly and so calmly and so coldly. Yeah. And this is exactly what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is a term that comes from an old short story that got made into uh, maybe a couple different movies. But this yeah. dude is trying to convince his wife that she is crazy. So, you know, it's all the, no, you're remembering wrong. You're crazy. You're, you're hysterical. But one of the things he does is gaslight. It used to be that uh, gas powered all the lights in, in houses, right? So now it's just mostly stoves. But so you could, you, there would be a literal flame in, a, in, a, in the light attached to the wall that was attached to a, a gas line. And so he would turn down all the gas lights just a bit. And so she would say, it's, it's really dark in here. And he would say, no, it's... It's not. It's well lit in here. All the gas lights are up. Yeah. So this is that, no, you're wrong, and I'm right. My memory is correct, and you're hysterical. Yeah. And uh, to do it at someone at, at this vulnerable spot. And then when there's a, a, an element of legitimacy right. to it as well, 
just that's what makes it that much harder. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> well, and, and we'll get into this question in a minute, but I'm not convinced that Sephiroth is lying here. Yeah. So there are some it's, things he's right about yeah. and some things he's wrong about, but is he lying? Right. So Sephiroth says, I want to take you to your real self, the one who gave me the black materia. Who would have thought a failed experiment would prove so useful? Hojo would die if he knew. And Klaus like, what does Hojo have to do with any of this? And here comes Ugh. the explanation. Uh, don't ask questions. You don't want the answers to. <laughs> exactly. Five years ago, you were constructed by Hojo, piece by piece. Right after Nibelheim was burned, a puppet made up of the vibrant Genova cells, her knowledge, and the power of the Mako, an incomplete Sephiroth clone, not even given a number. That is your reality. And it's not Cloud who immediately denies things, it's Tifa. She says, don't listen to him. Cover your ears, close your eyes. All that talk of Hojo constructing you is a lie. Don't we have our memories together of being kids together? Yeah, this is when it starts to get real. Right. This is when, and, and I can vividly actually recall this uh, as a kid, like being with Cloud. like, yeah, dude, he's messing with us. Exactly. Like, I get it, but okay, he's, he's screwing with us. Not going to believe him. We're going to find our way out of this thing. We're going to fight our way out like the fantasy heroes that we are. But when Tifa mm -hmm. doth protest a bit too much, yeah, and and because she has avoided this conversation, yes, every single time it's come up, including up until now through this part of the memory, and it just starts to get bad for her from here on out. And, right, and her reaction is really, oh, it breaks my heart. It gives me anxiety because she's got a million things that she's going through here and she doesn't know like you're talking about Cloud doesn't know everything Sephiroth doesn't know everything Tifa doesn't know everything certainly but she knows enough to know that some of what Sephiroth is saying is true right which means like you said now I've got to take the side of the super evil bad guy villain in the black cloak over my buddy over my my friend my hero and and haven't we known each other since we were kids now she's questioning her memory no right. we we know each other though right right you can't yeah. have been just created five years ago and that was that was the big memory the promise on the water tower staring at the stars right that was the thing that they agreed on That's, memory wise right right so that we know yeah so cloud exists we know cloud cloud was not created in a lab by hojo with Genova cells because Tifa remembers this thing. We've seen the memory, except now we have to question that also. And because, and I'm about, about to get to this, she knows that the story that Cloud told in Calm wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that Sephiroth's version of it is much closer to the truth because she's seen this guy with the black spiky hair. Yes. Instead of blonde spiky hair before. So Cloud says... Again, we're getting into denial. Why are you so scared? Don't worry about me. I'm all right. No matter how fine. confused, I'm, I'm fine. We're all fine. I'm fine. No matter how confused I am, I will never believe a word Sephiroth says. It's true that sometimes I can't figure out who I am. There's a lot of things muddled up in my memories, but I'm the one you grew up with. 
I am Cloud of Nibelheim. That is the truth. Oh, man. This is who I am. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Even in his insistence here, he's yeah. prevaricating. It's the first time, yeah, he, he's, he said, hey, maybe some of my memories are messed up. Well, are they now? Right. Oh, well, so now you're conceding my point. Mm, a moment ago. Yeah. All right, so now we get to the kicker. Sephiroth says, do you remember the picture we took before we went to Mount Nibble? Tifa, you remember, right? And just to remind everybody, one of the grunts took a picture of Tifa and Cloud and Sephiroth. So they say, yeah, you know, of course I remember the picture. And Tifa's like, no, no, don't do it. Sephiroth says, uh, here it is. Do you want to see Cloud? It turned out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So Cloud still you know, doing the hero thing, right? You don't believe the devil. The devil always lies. Right. I should be in that picture, but even if I'm not, no worries. This is just an illusory world Sephiroth made up. And then they show the picture. And it's Tifa and Sephiroth and this other guy who's basically wearing Cloud's clothes and wielding Cloud's sword, but definitely isn't Cloud. Cloud says, no, that picture's a fake. Five years ago, I came back to Nibelheim. We were going to inspect the reactor. I was 16 years old. The town hadn't changed at all. I saw mom. I saw everybody in town. I went to Tifa's room. And then he hesitates. Yeah. And then he says, I spent the night and we went to the reactor. It was my first mission after becoming first class in soldier. And the screen blinks and kind of fuzzes. He says, soldier, first, first class, soldier, first class. When did I enter soldier? How, how did I enter soldier? Why can't I remember? I'm, that's right. I didn't have to worry about it because I was... He says, Tifa, come on, let's go. I'm fine. Uh, and, and then we kind of blink out of the memory. So, I remember, like, the feeling in my body when I was, like, 11 years old. I <laughs> was the first time when they showed that picture. Yeah. And he wasn't there. And it wasn't him. Ooh, yuck. It really, it really messed with me. And do you remember, I'm sure you remember this, when I was like in kindergarten and first grade and I would tell people that I was a ninja in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You remember that? And we would go on a, we would go on adventures and you had a different name and I think I was a, I, I was the Simon Belmont character. Yeah. And you were the ninja. Yeah. yeah. I remember these stories. This, and, that, and you would literally tell people that that was the truth. I would, t right. I would insist, like at school and stuff. To other right. like real human beings that at night instead of sleeping my brother and i were going on adventures in japan i was a ninja and all this stuff i had a gold belt in ninjutsu right i had crafted this elaborate thing out of nowhere and, mm -hmm. and you know as a little kid lots of people do stuff like this and you grow out of it sure and, you know people have imaginary friends or whatever looking back on it it feels a little embarrassing but you also really little dude uh, right well and a lot of people that stays pretty uh nuclear it, it stays mostly just you, your family knows who your imaginary friends are not the whole school right whereas you had no shame in explaining to everybody exactly what was going on right 
And this was yeah. just, and I don't remember how, I, I have no recollection of just stopping doing that. <laughs> it was really only for like a month. Really? Like I, I, well, the way I remember it is like, it was like for a, a summer, maybe a summer and then the month of school the next semester. But like we started playing these games, you know, we played pretend all the time. Yeah. And, and so I remember like we, we crafted this story and then, yeah, you just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And there came a point where I was like, all right, man, that, well, let's do a new game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, you hung on to it and yeah, you, you just would tell people this and I was like, all right, like it's not going to stick forever. Right. And I was a weird little kid too. And, right. I mean, it, it's stuff that happens, but on a different level, we all craft our own narrative about the lives we're living, sure. about what other people think about us. Uh, there's a great Ellen DeGeneres bit about how we spend so much time thinking about what other people think of us that we don't realize that they're just thinking about what we're thinking about them. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you can get wrapped up in, in your personal narratives, but just as somebody who did that a lot as a kid, uh, and not just, you know, the ninja thing. That's just the big one that sticks out. But in, in smaller ways, really would just kind of live in a, a reality of my own. I honestly think this moment, like, helped me grow up. Like, seeing Cloud not in that picture was like, dude, at some point, like, reality just shows up. And you can't do that. You You cannot live entirely in a world of your own creation where you're the super badass hero who was top and first class and you were the best and you did this like, you know, and, and you do flips off of trains and stuff and, and Cloud made it into an actual reality. But but one of the things for Cloud is he can do flips off he, trains. Right. He is a badass. Right. So that lends credence to, to this other idea that, yeah, you know, these memories that maybe he's concocted or maybe were implanted in him are also real. Like, why shouldn't they be? Right. And and that comes back to your question of, you know, and this is a, 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 as old as Plato, you know, does it matter at the end of the day if Cloud's memories are real or if they're just, uh, well, what Sephiroth is about to tell them that they are, which is that, you know, in addition to the, Genova cells and all the magic-y, hoodicky stuff that's going on there, that it was Tifa's memories. And that explains why she kind of, there There was a, a young boy named Cloud, and that's kind of what you're based off of, and that's kind of where your personality comes from, but that's not really who you are. And, and that's part of the mystery that we have to dive into, you know, moving forward here. But it's even worth asking the question, even if it's true, even if Cloud's only existed for five years you know like vivi but he has 21 years or i don't even remember the first couple of years of your life but he's got you know an, an adult's worth of memories and he has this whole childhood and adolescence you know how much of it matters that that none of that happened well we're gonna we're gonna have to piece that all together as we go through all right so let's jump out of the memory hole for a bit so to speak that's not how that phrase is yeah. Let, let's jump out of the memory for a bit so Rufus and his pals were on the high wind, on the airship, headed to the northern crater. So now we cut back to Rufus and Scarlet and Hojo, and they're in this weird cave canyon thing. And Scarlet is amazed because there's the whole thing, this whole place is made of material. And remember, she was looking for a really big piece of material, yeah. right? 
Right, the big material. Huge material, yeah. <laughs> and Rufus explains that the outside is rich with Mako energy and the inside is this treasure trove of material. This is truly the promised land by which he means energy that he can exploit as the president <laughs> of Shinra Company. Right. And Hojo's like, nah, that's all bullshit. There's no such thing as the promised land. It's a legend, utterly ridiculous. Uh, and Rufus says, you're a shitty scientist. Or <laughs> so they're having this weird sort of power dynamics thing going on. And then that cliffside starts to move and shake and there's an eye behind the materia that opens and closes. And Hojo says, holy forking shirt balls. It's weapon. Weapon really does exist. I didn't believe in it, but that is a monster created by the planet. It was all in Gast's report. And Rufus says, report? Professor Gast did a report on a weapon? I never saw that report. Where is it? Hojo says, it's all up here. And he taps his forehead. And Rufus says, you keep a lot of things to yourself, Hojo. <laughs> My response would have been, I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> right. The, because Rufus has no problem taking out anybody who crosses. I was going to say putting myself in the in the shoes of Rufus Shinra. I'm not saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You would not. But no. Rufus, why is Rufus putting up with this? Totally. Right. At that point, like this was stuff I needed to know, Doc. And this is like you're right. You have messed up for the last time. But he also does probably need him, and Rufus is a little bit more shrewd than that. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. So then we blink back to the rest of the party, right? Cloud and Tifa and whomever the plus one is are, are often Sephiroth's illusion slash Cloud's memory and everyone else held back and we gave Barrett the black materia. So we're back with that part of the party and Tifa appears and she comes running out from nowhere and like everybody else gets blinked out of existence and Barrett like, what is going on? And Tifa says, yeah. everyone's waiting. Cloud's in trouble. Please come help us over there. And so Barrett runs over there. And, and of course, it's not Tifa, right? Right. And, the, <laughs> and then stuff gets weird. Wait, it, has it been weird? <laughs> it hasn't been weird so far? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's Sephiroth who made everyone else disappear and convinced Barrett to run that way. Except it's probably not even really Sephiroth anyway because of the clones and stuff. Oh, yeah, there are clones. Uh, and we go back to the canyon. And Scarlet gets the uh, Star Wars line. She says, Mr. President, I've got a bad feeling about this place. Bad feeling about And Rufus is like, yeah, we should go back to the ship now. But then Cloud and Tifa and, and their plus one are teleported in. And Scarlet says, where did you come from? And Cloud says, I don't, I don't know. know. Isn't that an amazing, <laughs> potentially throwaway yes. line? Oh, yeah. my God. God, is that the most loaded? Where did you come from? I don't know uh, in the <laughs> history. Yeah, like that's brilliant. I don't know how I came to town. I not even in the slightest. I I don't know how I got right here, but I also don't uh -huh. know how I got from there to right. here. You can't get there from here. <laughs> He doesn't know how he got started on this adventure. He doesn't even know how he was born now. Yeah. Because Sephiroth just told him that he has no memories, that he has no name, that he is just a puppet, that he was created in a lab, and all these memories come from Tifa's memories, and I don't know where I come from. Amazing. Wild. If I, again, I, uh, that's a line I would have skipped over pl having played this game so many times. But yeah, Scarlet is literally asking just like, Oh, hey, you weren't there a second ago, and now you're there. <laughs> right. Where did you come uh -huh. from? 
but where did you come from? <laughs> and yeah. I don't know. Brilliant. I, I went a while without saying it. That's brilliant. Pretty darn good. So Cloud says this. This is where reunion is going to happen. And I think I said last episode that this feels like the end game. And geographically, we are in the end game. But narratively, we are not. Yeah. And he says, this is where reunion is going to happen, where everything begins and ends. And then Barrett shows up. He's run down the canyon. I'm here to help. <laughs> and you can't stop Cloud from approaching Barrett. Like you can try, but it's like when, when you're trying to stop him from attacking Aerith and you, everything you do just moves it closer yeah. and closer. Once again, as the hand of fate, we are taken out of control. Yeah. Right. Like we trust Cloud as the main character to be our reliable narrator, and we know now he's not. Yeah. We also, at the very least, hope he can exercise his own free will, but we've seen him now on multiple times not be able to do that either. So Cloud says to Barrett, we're assuming Barrett, you can give it to any of the other party members, right? But we're assuming Barrett. He says, where's the black material? And Barrett says, it's safe. I've got it. Cloud says, I'll take it from here. Give me the black materia. And in the background, Tifa is shouting, but she doesn't get a regular text box that's like highlighted, that's easy to read. It's sort of just the text against the background and harder to read. She's shouting into the void. Yeah. He can't hear her or he won't hear her. Uh, and Barrett's like, uh, yeah, all right, because we trust Cloud because he's the main hero. Yeah. And Cloud takes the black materia. And then he apologizes. Yeah. He apologizes to everybody. Rufus and Hojo and Scarlet are standing there. We're watching. He apologizes to all of us. Yeah. But especially to Tifa, because Tifa, you've been so good to me. I don't know what to say. I never lived up to being Cloud. Maybe you'll meet the real Cloud one day. So Cloud has bought into the fact that he's not Cloud now. All that, this is an illusion. This is bullshit. Yeah. No, it's gone. God, man. Well, well we, we talked earlier about... like. Like, you know, why does he trust Kay at Sith? And you said, well, there's no, there's no zealot like a convert. Yeah. Right? He's never trusted anybody before. And now he's got these friends who have been backing him up every step of the way. Of course he trusts Kay at Sith. Because you trust your friends. And Kay at Sith says he's a friend. Well, now, no, we, another turn. Yeah. Now, now nothing is real. And this... I never lived up to being Cloud... So, so heartbreaking, so brutal to, to hear this idea that he was supposed to be something. And he's, again, the failed experiment thing that's running through his mind now. Mm -hmm. it, it also echoes something that uh, both Aerith and, and Sephiroth had said. You remember Aerith on the roller coaster ride, if, if you go with her, says, I want to meet the real cloud. And then yeah. Sephiroth has this line a, a while ago, you said... Uh, you know, I'm going to take you to meet the real cloud. Right. And now he's saying, I couldn't live up to whatever that was. I don't know what the real cloud is. And now that I no longer have this image, now that this narrative that I have crafted for myself in my mind is gone, I don't know who that is. And I think on a human level, we've all been there before with something in our lives when you when you've lost something that you weren't expecting to or just 
you know, in, the, in those tough moments in life. And you go, do I really know who I am? Do I really know what I want? Do I really know what I'm about? And that crisis of self-confidence is captured here in this moment and in this character and in this plot twist and in the themes of Final Fantasy VII about as well as any piece of fiction I can think of. I think it's one of the reasons why it was so popular with a generation, of, especially teenagers in 1997, Sure, yeah. You know, of just kind of feeling weird and lost as it's put by Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club. We're the middle children of history. You know, there was a weird anxiety and of like, who am I? And does it matter? And it just all comes to a head right here with Cloud and it's so powerful. And even going back and watching it, it's like, yep, this is why this game... For all the things people want to talk about, it's marketing and it's graphics and we've never seen X, Y, and Z. No, moments like this where teenagers who were used to video games mostly being fun entertainment. Now, like I said, this moment helped me grow up as a person, really think about who I am and the kind of world I want to live in, the kind of honest relationship I need to have with myself. That's, that's heavy stuff, man. Well, it only gets harder for Cloud. Yeah. Uh, because Hojo is thrilled that his experiment has worked. You know, he created all these Sep Sephiroth clones and it worked. Like, Cloud is a Sephiroth clone. So he says, uh, you know, where's your tattoo? And Cloud says, well, I don't have a tattoo. I don't have a number. I was a failed experiment. And Hojo's pissed about that. Oh, you know, only a failure made it here. And then Cloud, oh, this breaks me. Cloud says, Hojo, please give me a number. Oh. And Hojo dismisses him like Cloud wasn't the only successful one. Right. Like this is, this is the, all data collected in research is good data. It's all numbers you can look at to try to come to some sort of conclusion. Just conclusion, just because it didn't show what you wanted it to show doesn't mean it's bad data. Yeah. So Hojo is a second rate scientist. Rufus was right all along. <laughs> <laughs> but even more than that, Please give me a number. Uh, give me a tattoo. Let me belong like somewhere. Yeah. And there's a gross historical yeah. uh, perspective to look at there. Like, they're, they're really saying something here. Yeah. I just, I need to belong so badly. I need to know who I am so badly that I would even let you, you monster, tattoo a number on me. And, and Hojo just shuts him down. Yeah. Like, no. No, not worth it. <laughs> So speaking of teenagers in the 90s, not that teenagers in any other era didn't do this, but Shit. Cloud levitates into the air and goes away. Yeah. Like he, he goes to his room. Totally. Right. <laughs> and I get it, right? Like I, yeah. I, everything about my existence and my identity has been destroyed. I need to be alone with my thoughts. Yeah. And Rufus is like, who the hell was that? What in the world is even going on? <laughs> so we get another moment of... Okay, here's the explanation. We've been we've been giving you faulty information all this time. Here's the explanation, except this probably is not... This explains something, but it doesn't necessarily explain Cloud. But we're going to ex read it now as though it did explain Cloud. Yeah. Hojo says, That was a Sephiroth clone I created after the real Sephiroth died five years ago. Out of Genova Cells, Mako, and my own genius. I'm not wild about the failure, but it means the reunion theory is proven true. Even if Genova's body is dismembered, it will come together again. I've been waiting for the reunion to start. 
The clones have begun to return. I thought they would all gather in Midgar, where Genova is stored, but no, Genova itself moved away from the Shinra building. Which would suggest then that even the smallest cells, because he's injecting cells into these clones, right? Even just the cells are enough to bring Genova together. Right. Like even the smallest cells will return to Genova. Yeah. Who Sephiroth thinks is his mom, but we know is an alien, right? Right. Then it cuts to Clyde. It gets this weird perspective. So everybody, the Rufus and his minions and our party members are all down in this canyon. And we're looking down at them and they're very tiny on the screen. And in the foreground is Cloud. And we said that there were all these weird roots at the top of this canyon and they were holding on to a giant uh, sphere that's probably materia. So he's sitting on one of those roots, except he's sitting upside down. Yeah. From the way gravity would expect. And so we're focused on him, but the conversation is down there. And they all get real text boxes. What an like extraordinary framing, by the way. Like, I'm glad, right. I'm glad you took the time to describe that because we haven't talked a whole lot about the visuals throughout this and there have been some good ones, but that's... I don't know if it's called cinematography in video games. We don't know, but that's, yes, striking visual storytelling to set this conversation up. Cloud's thoughts are going to sort of interrupt here, and I'll pick out the ones that I think are most salient. But Sojo says, Sephiroth is not content to diffuse his will into the life stream. This is how he's going to persist beyond death. Mm. Hojo says he, he is going to manipulate the clones. I wonder where the clones were going. They're coming here. Cloud says, yeah, I, I couldn't figure it out either. You know, it's, it's sort of his uh, thoughts. Yeah. Hojo says, the one thing I did know was that Sephiroth was at their final destination. And Cloud says, I wasn't pursuing Sephiroth. I was being summoned by him. All that anger and hatred made it impossible for me to forget him. That and what he gave me. Sephiroth, I'm here, and I brought you the black materia. Where are you? And all the music stops. And Cloud stands up, upside down on the root, and walks to that sort of sphere that we can see trapped in the roots. Uh, and we see that Sephiroth is embedded within. Which would suggest, if, if this is the Sephiroth that died five years ago, then all those other Sephiroths we've seen were not actually Sephiroths, but clones of Sephiroth. Right. Uh, with, with Genova cells in them. And, and the memory of Genova and Sephiroth, and they're connected somehow in the... They, they, he's been manipulating them maybe through memory, yeah. through thought, through telepathy, tough, through illusion perhaps. Tough to say, but this appears to be the real Sephiroth. And dude's not wearing a shirt. And even in 1997 graphics, <laughs> <Right>. damn. <laughs> I know. He's, he's always been a looker. <laughs> ah, long silver hair. I know. 12-pack abs. I know, right? Jeez. So Cloud stands up and he walks upside down on this root toward that thing and uh, and he's got the black materia in hand. And Hojo says, this is perfect. Both Genova's reunion and Sephiroth's will. They won't be diffused in the life, into the live stream but gathered here. And Tifa says, are you out of your mind? Cloud has the black materia. Sephiroth is going to summon Meteor. Every single person on this planet is going to die. And Rufus says, well, I realize that right now might be too little, too late, but we got to get out of here. Come with me. There's more I want to know. And then uh, Barrett, Barrett sees Cloud. And he tries to shout to him, stop, don't do it. And we're treated to this really cool cutscene. We don't see Cloud. We only see his hand holding the black materia. And I thought this was a solid piece of crystalline uh, materia, right? But he, he pushes his hand through it like it's liquid. Yeah. 
and lets go of it and it sort of like floats up towards Sephiroth who hasn't moved this whole time and it sort of sparks and lightnings and it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then all of that falls down out of the roots and a giant geyser of light and water and magic and who knows what erupts into the sky and this giant Godzilla weapon monster <laughs> emerges from the northern crater and it's enormous and this, like this whole scene is kind of like way overdone like everyone's reacting a bit too much it's like, it's like you're at an improv where people are maybe just going a little too far you know we uh we've had a a long very thought-provoking very sober moment and it's kind of like right after they killed Aerith, they had us snowboard down the mountain you know for a little right. tonal shift mm-hmm. and here they've gone from like this really quiet really creepy really kind of introspective moment to the biggest bonanza blockbuster all the explosions giant monster people running around screaming like ah, you're waiting for your gojira moment here it is <laughs> here it is man so we're gonna we're gonna do another cut we're back to cloud the screen is black except for cloud sprite very very small in the middle of the screen Tifa appears on screen. She says, Cloud. And he gets up and he starts to walk away into the distance. And Tifa runs after him. She says, I didn't know what to do. Uh, She can't catch up to him. And we're back in another memory. We're at the train station, Sector 7 slums. This is the same train station where Elmira found Elfana and Aerith. We've seen this train station over and over again. We've seen Elmira's memories here. And now we're seeing one of Tifa's. There is uh, this poor train conductor, dude. He's seen a lot of... (laughs) When he said the first time you talk to him, he basically says, I've seen a lot of shit and he ain't lying. (laughs) My goodness, yeah. There's this guy collapsed on the, you know, sort of sitting up. Not unlike uh, Ilfana and Aerith, actually. Uh, Just, you know, slumped against the... uh, the the side of the platform here and the train conductor is trying to check on him but i mean he's a train conductor he's not a medical expert this isn't his job but you know he's trying to look after this dude but there's nothing for him to do and then tifa shows up she says are you all right and the the screen keeps again it, it sort of feels like it might be might have been a glitch in the game except obviously it's on purpose because now we know this is the memory being fizzled with off or messed up yeah 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 So Tifa approaches this person. Are you all right? And to us, it's obviously Cloud. Yeah. But she doesn't seem to recognize him. And he can't quite articulate. And then he looks at her and he says, Tifa? Tifa, you're Tifa, right? And Tifa says, oh, Cloud. He says, that's right. I am Cloud. (laughs) And, And Tifa says, is that really you? I never thought I'd see you here. He goes, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, which would suggest that if, if everything we were just told about Cloud's memories being informed by Tifa is true, if all the, Sephiroth kind of implied earlier that there could be some shifting of shape and shifting of memory and shifting of voices uh, based upon Genova cells. Right. So if that's correct, then this is this puppet becoming Cloud based on Tifa's memories. Right. Yeah. That's right, my name is Cloud. Yeah, it has been a while. She says, what happened? You don't look too good. And he's like, really? I feel fine. And she says, how long has it been? He says, 
five years. And she does not respond. And this is her memory, right? Yeah. So it's not influenced by Sephiroth. Right. And it's not influenced by Cloud. She doesn't respond because she did not see him at Nibelheim. And she says, it's really been a long time. And then not out loud, we get this sort of parenthetical. Actually, it's been seven years. You joined Soldier but quit after the Sephiroth incident, and now you're a mercenary. You told me a lot about what happened after you left Nibelheim, but something was wrong. All the things you didn't know that you should. All the things you did know that you shouldn't. I wanted to make sure, but then I heard you were going far away and I didn't want that, so I thought I needed more time. And that's why I told you about the avalanche job. I wanted to be with you. Man. Yeah. I'm gonna cry. Like, she, Tifa <laughs> is in such a, an impossible position in all of this. And that she just wants to, to help this person. And we'll find out again how well did they know each other, what is the history and all of that. But it's, man, that is, that is hard. It's really hard. You had all this stuff off, and, and, and then, but I needed to know what happened to you. Something very clearly happened, and I didn't want, and, and it's, I think, made clear, especially now again as an adult, I understand that this is kind of the justification that they're giving for why hasn't she spoken up before? Why doesn't she set the record straight and calm? Or any number of other times that this stuff has come up. Why hasn't she said cloud? Your version of events does not match up with my version of events. And I think it comes from this early recollection of, I knew there was something wrong and I didn't know what, and I wanted to figure out, but I, I, I knew you weren't okay. And I wanted to try to take care of you through this moment and, and through everything. And she almost does speak up a number of times too. Like I said, she's in an impossible situation. Right for her to be the one responsible for the break that Cloud is currently having. You know, oh man, I don't know what you do there, but she's gonna do well, her best. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's important to remember the promise, right? Yeah. Like, she said, if I'm ever in trouble, you know, when you're a famous soldier, if I'm ever in trouble, you'll help me out, right? And now here she is, oh, I know this guy. You think she didn't remember the promise in right. that moment? Who's in trouble Right. Here? Right. Oh, man. That's so good. Yeah. It's, now she's fulfilling all of his bravado and all of that. And you came back. You know, for, oh, Tifa, you. You came back. Oh. <laughs> so good. This game is good. <laughs> Do people like this? Yeah. I think I think people Are like their entire Twitter accounts dedicated to Tifa Lockhart because <laughs> and all of these characters. Yeah, yeah my and, goodness. And and this is why, right? This is why these characters mean so much to people. Because again, and some of us know exactly what it's like to go through the kind of break that Cloud is going through here. Some of us might identify a little bit more with being very, very close to somebody who's gone through a terrible break. And what is the right or wrong way to provide emotional support and pragmatic everyday support and ninja ass kicking support and all the things that Tifa does and what she stands for thematically as a friend. And we haven't even gotten to her 
biggest helping hand moment. Right. Right. Oh, man. She is just extraordinary. So let's go back to those big questions, Drew. One, does it matter whether or not I remember the event or I remember the recording of the event? And two, how do, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? And three, is there a literary virtue to telling stories this way? Let's start with that first one. Does it matter? I think... And this is probably informed by the art that has, uh, you know, I, I grew up around and family and friends and all of that. That yes, uh, you know, the the argument being made here is that it does matter. Now your your memories may not need to be perfect and all of that, but that knowing the truth ultimately is better than believing something that isn't true. Right. Forgetting things is one thing, like we said, misremembering them and then acting on those mismemories. Is that a word? Uh, <laughs> is mm-hmm. it can be very problematic. And, you know, I think ultimately Final Fantasy seven is like I said, at least that was the moral of the story that I took away as a kid. Right. Like I was saying earlier was you sure. do need to be honest with yourself. You do need to live in yeah. the real world and not just as Cloud was doing for the first two-thirds of Sephiroth's retelling of the Nibelheim incident, building in all of the excuses for why you're the only thing that matters, your memory is the only thing that matters, your perspective is the only thing that matters. So maybe in a way it's okay if my memory of that event is from the video, so long as I'm honest about where the memory comes from, Right. right? and what the memory means to me. I want to pull an example from history. We talked about history being a kind of memory, right? The unsinkable Molly Brown. I was listening to a podcast uh, called What's Her Name, where they talk about their tagline is fascinating women you've never heard of. Now, we live in Colorado, so we've heard of Molly Brown. Uh, But according to this podcast, she wasn't really called Molly Brown when she was alive. She was Margaret. Right. Her name was Margaret Brown. And she's, you know, the story is she was found floating down the Mississippi by Mark Twain. Total nonsense. We know that from the, the musical on her life. And apparently Molly was easier to, to fit into a song than Margaret. So that's why they called her Molly Brown in the musical. So a lot of our knowledge of Molly Brown, you know, in the cultural zeitgeist is from either the Titanic film or the musical. But there's all this stuff she did. That is not in any, you know, is not part of any of that. Like part of her story is that she was, uh, you know, looked down upon by society. No, she wasn't. She was well respected by society. Also, like she did all this stuff to reform juvenile justice, you know, uh, uh, juvenile criminal right. justice and animal shelters. And she stood up to. Uh, we talked about the Ludlow massacre, right? Right. And that was was that Carnegie? Yeah. Who? Yeah. And she stood up to that dude on the side of the union. And that's not in the musical. That's not in the Titanic. But that is light warrior stuff right Right. there. That is important. And so most of us remember the unsinkable Molly Brown incorrectly. Or or rather, not fully. Right. But at least we remember her. So, I mean, I think it's important that her actual, you know, the, the more complete version of her story get out. 
But also I think that, so, so I don't want to say it doesn't matter, right? Like I, I phrased that question in such sure. a way as to be a little more sure. provocative. But I, I don't know, where does that land on the doesn't matter scale? Yeah, you know, that that's really fascinating. I, I, I think it depends. You know, it's it's nice that her mythology is mostly pretty positive. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think where you get into trouble again is when we have a mythology about a, an actual real world person that, it, well, in my line of work, right, I'm a baseball writer. And there's one of the greatest baseball players of all time is a guy named Ty Cobb. And there's been a lot <laughs> talked about and written about. And, you know, the general consensus when you talk to people about the, him is he was one of the worst people. He just was a bad person. He was a screaming racist. He was a violent guy. He did all these terrible things. And that's that's kind of the story, right? That's, again, back to your, that that's the narrative we get. But there have been more books recently and accounts from family and, and certain things that have come up that are of records of him, like paying for the medical bills of all of these other baseball players. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some, there's also been a demystification of one of the books that was written about him where a lot of these narratives came from. It's like, actually that author was kind of on some stuff. So yeah, I think there is where you really get into trouble. And I would feel terrible if, For most of my life, I've believed that Ty Cobb was a racist, violent prick. And if that's not true, I feel kind of bad about that, right? If this guy lived his life in a mostly upstanding way and was just whatever, and I've got this image of him in in my head, I I, I would, yeah, I I, I don't think that's good. So that's probably why it's good to try to get at the truth. But to your second question, I guess I'd rather be remembered than not at all. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to get, yeah. So that, that second question, what do you want your legacy to be? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I guess with, for the people who know me or, you know, once I'm dead for the people who knew me, I would like to think that my legacy would be mostly positive, especially, you know, I'm a high school librarian. I interact with God, there's 1,400 kids at the school where I work. Not all of them come to the library every day, but a lot of them do. I would like to think that I've had a a mostly positive impact on most of them. I would like to think that I haven't had a negative impact on any of them, but I don't know that. I know that when I was a a kid and a teenager, I occasionally did stuff and said stuff that I absolutely regret. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was no kind of a bully, but I was, I definitely said some stupid stuff thinking I was funny. Right. But I... I'm also not sure that I want to be remembered all that much. Like there doesn't need to be a biopic about me. That guy, how embarrassing <laughs> would that be? I don't, I don't know. I, I, it'd be pretty good. I'd watch it. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're my brother. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I might go a little bit of a, a different direction on this. I, I do feel like I want to be remembered not necessarily for anything specifically. Not, I mean, no one wants to be remembered negatively, probably, I guess. Maybe there are people that do. I would hope. Uh, I don't know, those that Barnum guy, all news is good news. Yeah. Whenever they're talking about you, it's good. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not into that. And like you, you know, and I, I've got a weird relationship with this too because I interact with a lot of strangers in my job. And so there's a lot of people that, you know, have... 
<laughs> their opinions on on my work and, yeah. and what I do, and and they share them on social media, and we get some of that yes, on, they do. on this podcast. But it's again that that's mostly positive. I right. I get more of the other things. You know, can I just yeah. say for a moment that it really bothers me when people are mean to my little brother on the internet. <laughs> Like, you're an adult. You can handle it. Like, this is part of your job. I get it. But it really bothers yeah. me. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, they don't really know you. And you can only do so much about it. But there is, yeah, if people are going to comment on your work or, you mm-hmm. know, what you're doing, you'd, you'd like for those comments to be positive. And when they're not, that can be frustrating. But I will say, I, I do get a, a special whenever somebody tells us they really they really enjoy this show they really enjoy this podcast and and that it's meant something to them like that's that means a great deal to me or or those things you know when when someone does on the baseball stuff and say hey man you you really helped me become more of a rockies fan i never really was before but i started listening to the nice. show like that's my favorite comment of all and and so you know being remembered for that of like you know, if there are people who, for example, are listening to this episode long after we're gone, but they've, you know, they're like, oh, man, these guys have deepened my appreciation for Final Fantasy, even in some small way. Like, I, I don't mind being remembered for that at all. That's, on, that's a dope legacy sure. to leave behind. That would be a nice legacy. And to link it back to the previous question, you know, maybe, maybe another way to think of it is I, I would like to be remembered... If I am remembered at all, I would like to be remembered honestly. Does it matter? Maybe not every detail matters. Maybe it's okay if it's fuzzy, but so long as it's honest, so long as it's as, you know, the Ty Cobb story or even freaking Andrew Carnegie, like dude donated a lot to hospitals and libraries. And I'm a librarian. I should like this dude. But then there's the Ludlow massacre. Like that's not okay either. So being remembered honestly would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So before we get to the last question, I want to ask you a related but different question. Uh-huh. Drew, what is your earliest memory? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that earlier when you're telling the story about dropping the guitar on my head because I think it's <laughs> around, if it wasn't that same event, it was something like that. I remember us all being out on the deck and mom's family being in town and granddad even like before his hair went totally white like i can remember him like i can close my eyes and remember being on the deck out there and us doing stuff be you and charity doing the shows again i can't remember if i'm remembering that because of the video or because of whatever but i i can remember being there if that makes any sense whatsoever i i've got you know, images in my head scattered from just kind of running around on the deck with a bunch of family. That's a nice first memory, a bunch of family just being there. Yeah, that's not too bad, right? Yeah. And then my brother dropped a guitar on my head, and my cousin had to pick Look. me up while I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that part. Like, I, one of the things I do remember about that event is that I didn't know I had hit you in the head. Right. And I, and I felt bad about it. But also, like, it's not my fault, yeah, right? <laughs> like, I remember, I remember trying, trying to not to be at fault. Got in the yeah. way. I mean, I did get in the way. <laughs> so what is then, or is there any literary virtue to telling stories in this way? 
Yeah, I think, you know, as we were talking about, there is plenty of merit to telling a linear, straightforward story, and there are some good ones even in the Final Fantasy universe. But life isn't really lived that way. We remember things wrong. We forget things. We are reminded of things that we thought we had forgotten about. People remember things differently than we do, and and it all gets a bit messy. Life is really messy. One of the, you know, critiques of Final Fantasy VII, and really of a lot of stuff that Tetsuya Nomura has been involved with throughout his career, is that it's convoluted and complicated and messy, and there's stuff about it that doesn't work. But I think that's something that draws both you and I to it so deeply. It is messy. And it would be so easy to see this game with a spiky-haired kid with a sword that's bigger than his body and the lab rat dog with the burning fire tail and all this wild and the alien from the planet and memories are all messed up and, and, and not be able to connect to it. For it to all feel so alien. But these people feel real because their lives feel real. And, and one of the reasons why is because they misremember things. They, they forget things. They don't immediately correct their mistakes of the past because they're not entirely sure what the mistakes of the past are. And for all of their wild proportions and character designs and everything that Cloud and Tifa in particular for, for this episode that we're talking about are, they're remarkably human. And so I, you know, I think when you dive into the, those types of things, it just allows you to get at the core of who we are in a in a way that you, you maybe feel more than you intellectualize the way you can with something that just has a straightforward plot of like a plot twist and then now you're there, right? Fair enough. So that is memory it is ephemeral but it is important you know what you remember how you are remembered by others uh, and what the virtue of, of memory and, and thinking about memory and talking about memory and writing stories about memory might be but also there is the world that we live in and our characters live in a heck of a world <laughs> yeah so now we need to get back to the now, right? We talked about memory being perhaps learning from the past and preparing for the future, but we've only got the right now. So what have we got right now? Well, Aerith has died and now Cloud is lost and Tifa comes to in on, on a medical table. And it sort of fades in from this uh, pale, uh, you know, we, we get the white screen, right? And it slowly fades in palely to the actual scene. And Barrett is sitting there, and he's and he's talking to her, uh, and eventually says, "You'll be better soon. You've been asleep for a long time." And Tifa deflects. We've had a lot of deflection this episode. Yeah. Right? She says, "I'm, uh, I'm hungry." And Barrett says, "Hey, why don't you ask about him?" And Tifa, speaking of honesty, she says, "Because I'm scared." Barrett says, "I don't know what happened to him either." And Tifa, looking for some sort of grounding, says, he's, he's still alive, right? How long was I asleep? Barrett says, you've been asleep for about seven days. Oh. 
So now Barrett's going to give us the lay of the land. He says, Sephiroth is asleep in the northern crater surrounded by a barrier of light. Weapon, that giant monster that erupted from the northern crater, is on a rampage. Tifa says, wait, Weapon is protecting Sephiroth? Barrett says, I don't know. He says that a lot in this scene. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Speaking of a, a grounded character with a head yeah. on his shoulders, right? He's not afraid to say, I don't, don't know. have the answer to that at this time. So Barrett says, Weapon is tearing stuff up. Rufus is f fighting it. So at least Rufus isn't totally. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, it's like the it's the Carnegie Carnegie example again. Yeah. Not not all of it's bad. Not all of it's good. Maybe you can't even apply good and bad to it. Yeah. And finally, Tifa says, "What about Meteor?" She gets up off the table. Barrett gestures her over. There's these metal blinds like he's, that I, he had in, uh, remember Central High School? Yeah. Uh, Being so in a doctor's the, office. Those, right, the old part of the building, these giant metal blinds. Yeah. So we go over there, and Barrett opens the blinds, and the sky is dominated by this giant red meteor. It's, uh, it's Lavos, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's the god of war. Yeah. It's the, the giant moon from that Zelda game. This is the impending doom. This is the sword of Damocles, and it is coming right for your planet. And Tifa says, what do we do? Do we just give up? And Barrett says, I don't know. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by following us on Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can send an email to FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to find us on Patreon at Patreon.com FFWeekly for more episodes and content. Join us next time when we go searching for Cloud in more ways than one, and finally get the whole real story behind the Nibelheim incident. Mostly.